Well, good morning, church. It is always a blessing for us to be together. Uh, Would you pray with me? God, we come before you in this time of the year with all kinds of different concerns and things that are, are stressing us out. And as Holly prayed at the beginning of our, our time together, God, we, we confess that there's times that we just run into a wall of fatigue. There's times that we, we're just not sure exactly how we're going to get it all done, how we're going to cover all the bases, how we're going to keep all the commitments. And God, we are thankful that that's not, that's not the only truth we know at this time of year. That as much as we are looking forward to Christmas Day and, and for the celebration of Jesus' birth, there's a blessing that comes to us in the waiting. The expectation, the hope that he came once and we believe that he's coming again. And so, God, we pray this morning that as we open our hearts to your word, that you would speak into each one of our souls exactly what we most need to hear this morning to keep going, to keep trusting, to keep believing. Even when we have doubts and even when we're stressed out, God, that we will find your presence is carrying us closer and closer to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we, we're calling this series, this Advent series, Waiting in Wonder. And I, I want to mention real quickly that our own Christy Stark uh, designed this artwork and created it for us. And I'm just so thankful for the, the time and the effort and the skill that she put into it. But I keep tripping over the word waiting. I, I love the word wonder. You know, I, we all like the idea of being struck with a sense of awe and amazement. I'm not as good with the experience of waiting in my life. In fact, I think of all the things in my everyday life that I want to avoid more than anything else, it's waiting in a line that's not moving. I can go from being fine to wanting to just give up when I get stuck in a line that's not moving, especially when I take a few minutes before I get in the line to see which one I think is going to move the fastest, only to get in it, and then the cash register receipt tape thing runs out and the person doesn't know how to change it. And, you know, my, my wife regularly tells me people are looking at you and they can tell what you're thinking because of your face. (laughs) And when I get in those kinds of situations, I don't know exactly what I look like, but I know that I'm thankful I can't see (laughs) the expression that I'm sharing with the world. Now, you may not have quite that much aversion to waiting. But in our world that 
is filled with all kinds of technology that allows us to speed things up and to skip the line and to check in early and uh, to have curbside delivery and all the things, all the advantages that we have that allow us to not have to wait when we run into moments in life where there's no other choice but to wait. Grumpy's not the word. It's a kind of, of grief because it's, it's a sense of a loss of control and it's the reminder that there's some things in life, there's some things in our experience that we just can't speed up even when we give anything to speed it up. This morning, we're focusing our hearts on the hope, the hope that we live with as people of faith, that Jesus came into our world in the flesh over 2,000 years ago, and that's what we're celebrating at Christmas, that we believe Jesus is still coming into our world in different ways, and that we believe Jesus is going to come back in all of his fullness someday. And there are many days when we would give anything for that someday to be this day. And yet we have to keep waiting. We have to keep hoping. And what that means is that we need hope in our lives as much as we need just about anything. You don't need me to tell you that. You may not even need me to remind you of that, but I'm going to. We are people that need hope as much as we need air to breathe. Because without hope, we can't keep going. I mean, we might be able to go for a little bit, but eventually we're going to run out of our drive, of our sense of purpose, of, of our reason to get up and expect that things really will be one day the way God has promised they will be. We need hope. It's not a luxury. It's, it's not just something that we wait to feel. It's, it's something that we're chasing after. Whether we realize it or not, it's something we're chasing after in the deepest parts of who we are. Now, here's what I think we have to struggle with. Is if we need hope just as much as we, we, we need anything, why is it that we're tempted to give up on hope? Why is it when we find ourselves in certain places in our lives or when we look at the state of our world and we grow more and more jaded and cynical and we stop expecting for things to be better, we stop believing that things can ever be healed or fixed, why is it that we get to a place where we actually believe that we can figure out how to live life without hope? Why would you, why would you do that? Well, I think it's because there are many times in our lives when hoping more than anything else just feels like waiting, and waiting feels like not having, and not having feels like starving. Now, it depends on 
what we're hoping for. You know, Kelly illustrated it well. If, if we're hoping for something that's material, that's probably never going to be a reality in our lives, like Teeny just handing over the keys of her car to me, right? That doesn't feel like starving, right? That's wishful thinking. That's unfounded optimism. And we've all been around people who are unfounded optimists, and they are some of the most annoying people in the world. (laughs) I'm talking about the deepest things you need to keep going. Love, forgiveness, offering forgiveness, a sense of peace, a joy that is more durable than fleeting moments of happiness. When you don't get to experience those things in the fullness that you're desperate to experience them in, it feels like you're starving for love. Like you're gasping for the air of relationships that, that can rescue you from the loneliness that you're carrying. What I'm trying to say here is, brothers and sisters, we all have had to go without something that's so important and we're longing for it, but the longing starts to feel painful. And because it's painful, because it's hurting, we try to find a way to stop hoping because we think there's a straight line between hoping and starving, between hoping and hurting. But the problem is you and I can't live without hope. And so when we try to convince ourselves that it really is possible to just kind of give up, we don't realize what that's actually doing to us. We don't realize the damage that it's causing, not only in our hearts, but also in how we're treating other people. Because if you've ever been around somebody who's given up hope, It pulls you down. There's a gravitational pull to hopelessness that's almost like a black hole. It's like you, not even light can get out. And we don't want to be people who are trying to convince ourselves that we're being realists when we give up on hope. When all we're really trying to do is to stop hurting because we've hoped for something we feel like we desperately need and it hasn't fully come true yet or maybe it hasn't come true at all for us and we'd rather just stop expecting it. But when we live without hope, we aren't living the kinds of lives that Jesus wants for us. And we aren't the kinds of people that this world desperately needs when they spend time with us. There's a A phrase that gets thrown around the world of soccer quite a bit, and since the World Cup is happening right now, and we got knocked out on Saturday, don't don't start to believe I care about soccer. I don't. (laughs) But some of you do. And there's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot. It's the hope that kills you. That's what I'm talking about. And it's one thing to apply that to your favorite sports team. 
It's another thing to realize that we often take that same cynical, jaded, closed-off approach to life because we have had our hopes dashed before. We have had our hearts broken before, and we think there's a way to put some armor up over our souls, and we can stop yearning, longing, expecting for better lives, for a better world, for a better future. But when we shut off our hope, we run from the light. I want us to read together an image of the future that God promises us in Isaiah chapter 11, starting in verse 1. And as I read this, I want you to be honest with yourself about how unrealistic some of this sounds. A shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. A branch will sprout from his roots. The Lord's spirit will rest upon him. A spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of planning and strength, a spirit of knowledge in fear of the Lord. He will delight in fearing the Lord. And he won't judge by appearances nor decide by hearsay. He'll judge the needy with righteousness and decide with equity for those who suffer in the land. He will strike the violent with the rod of his mouth. By the breath of his lips, he will kill the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt around his hips and faithfulness the belt around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion will feed together and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together and a lion will eat straw like an ox. Imagine that, a vegetarian lion. A nursing child will play over the snake's hole. Toddlers will reach right over the serpent's den. They won't harm or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain. The earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the Lord just as the water covers the sea. Now, Isaiah starts out this image of the future with words that if we've been at church and we've read some passages about Jesus, they remind us of Jesus. And we're comfortable, blessed even, to imagine all the ways that Jesus is the kind of true king that we need. And, and listing those attributes, I listen to it and I think, yeah, I see all of that in Jesus. And I believe that he came once and that he's still coming into our lives and that he's going to come in an even more full and total way at the end of time. I believe all that and I can see all these attributes of Jesus that they're not just, it's not like they're too good to be true, they're, they're too good not to be true. But then when it shifts from talking about him to talking about the relationships, and, and I think Isaiah purposely chooses to illustrate all these different images of animals 
where the predator and the prey are living together in peace. Because it's actually easier for us to imagine a lion being at peace with a calf than the Republicans and the Democrats getting along. (laughs) Now, they didn't have that when Isaiah spoke these words, but you get my point, right? That, That if Isaiah were to pick different people groups to say, can you imagine them living at peace in the presence of God in the midst of God's kingdom, which is another way to say God's holy mountain, right? That the key is that there's no destruction there. There's no division there. Can you imagine the world like that? And growing up, almost all of the time, when I would hear Isaiah 11 read in worship, it was described as if it was only talking about heaven. And there are obvious aspects of this prophecy, this description of the future that Isaiah is giving us that are at home in heaven. But to decide it's only going to happen there and it's only going to happen at the end of time is to ignore the very clear ending of this passage where it says the earth will surely be filled with people who know God so well that they're becoming like God and how they see one another and how they treat one another and how they find a way back to one another. When we focus on this promise, they won't harm or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain. Brothers and sisters, in some ways, he's asking us to believe, do we think it's possible for us to be a part of that? And do we think it could happen here? Or have we written, have we written the world off? Have we decided that we already know that it isn't going to work? That we can't possibly get there? And see, I'm convicted by the fact that when I try to imagine a world where it's not just Jesus who shows us what it looks like, it says he he judges the needy with righteousness and he treats everyone with equity, right? It says he judges the needy with righteousness. It says he's looking into their lives for the places that Things that they've gone wrong and they need to be right again. And he works to make that happen. And that not only is he concerned for the needy, but he's concerned for all of us. And the ways that we treat one another. And the ways that we compete with one another. The ways that we attack one another. Because I think more than we realize it, even as people of faith, we can reach the place where we've given up hope and we don't realize it. We don't realize it because it wasn't a conscious decision. It wasn't this moment where in in a prayer or a conversation with God, we said, you know what, God, I'm done. I just, I can't see us getting 
to be the kinds of people that Jesus promises us we can be in his own way of life and invites us into it. I'm, I'm tired of believing that if we seek to be peacemakers in a world that's starving for peace, that I'm tired of believing that if we do that long enough, somehow it's going to transform this world. I'm tired of being the one who always has to go first. I'm tired of being the one who always has to say, I'm sorry and mean it. I'm, I'm tired of treating other people the way you told me to treat them instead of just treating them the way I want to. The clearest place that we can go to figure out whether or not we've given up on our hope is how much we've decided that we're on our own and we'd better win. Because no one, no one else is watching out for us. No one else is looking out for us. No one else is going to take care of us. So we have to take care of ourselves and we've got to fight for what we need and we've got to make sure that nobody takes it away from us. The future that Isaiah is talking about The future that he says isn't just possible, but it's promised. It's a future that we can only hope for. We can only hope for it. We we can't build it. We can't take it. We can't force it. We can't buy it. And we'd better not try. Because every time people try to build the version of the world they want, every time people try to take everything from this world they think they need, every time people in this world try to force their own way, every time people in this world think that we're going to fix it by having the most financial resources that we can use and we can deploy the way we want to, every time we decide that our future and the future of the world ultimately depends on us and what we do, we ruin things. And you don't need me to give you examples because they're everywhere. And by the way, I wish I could say all the examples are out there in the world somewhere, but they're in here in the church with us too. Anxious, cynical Christians try to build, take, and force, and buy the future they want no matter who else it hurts. Because they look at the world, we can look at the world, and all we see out there and with them are problems. All we see are mistakes. All we see are conflicting agendas. And and what we really want is not so much a future where the wolf lies down with the lamb and the leopard lies down with the goat and the the lion lies down with the calf. We just want to be a lion and a leopard and a wolf. That's what we want. And it breaks God's heart because it means we've stopped hoping and we've started scheming. We've stopped hoping and we've started 
building and taking and forcing and buying. And we think that that is going to give us the lives that we've been promised. But it won't because we may get everything we try to build and take and force and buy. But when we get there, we're going to have lost ourselves in the process. That is not the hope that Jesus offers us. It's not the hope that we're called time and again to believe again. Now, I want to talk for just a moment about what we are supposed to be doing. Because it's not that we'll never have moments where where we partner with God in helping this world become more and more the world that's promised in Isaiah 11. God will invite us into situations, into opportunities, into moments where we get to model what it's like to envision a world where it's not cutthroat, constant, challenging competition, but that it's collaboration and cooperation and it's doing the hard work of trying to see Christ in someone who may not yet believe in Christ for the sake of Christ. We get to be a part of Jesus coming into our world in a million different ways that oftentimes are so quiet and so small, we miss it. Look, in many ways, babies are anything but quiet. By the way, I'm not saying anything about noises in this room, I promise you. I love to hear babies in this room. Okay. But in other ways, I think part of the mystery of Jesus being born to this scared and nervous couple in a small little town where they don't even have a place that they can really call home is that just about everyone missed it. I mean, babies are born every day. There they go, perfect timing. Right, baby, babies are born. You don't have to leave. You don't have to leave. Don't worry about it. I can't even see where you are. My eyes are bad. You're good. You're good. You're good. Don't move. Don't leave. I really wasn't trying to do that. I'm sorry. Um, babies are a miracle, right? Babies can change everything. This, this time of, of the year reminds us of that. But in other ways, we overlook people all the time as they come into our world. And we, we think we know already who the really important people are and who the power players are and who the, who the people are that we're going to pledge our allegiance to and the people that we're going to place our trust in. But the reality is that in this future where we might be tempted to think, you know what, I don't, I don't really ever believe that a wolf and a lamb are going to lie down together, so I need to figure out how to be a wolf. And I don't know how a leopard and a goat are going to lie down together, so I'm going to be a leopard. And I don't know how a, a bear and an, an ox are going to... We don't get to choose the kinds of people that God works through to bring us closer to this world, this version of the world that God says is possible. But I love the reminder, the clarity that as we envision Jesus as our leader, I, I would tend to picture Jesus in his prime. Just moments before the cross. 
33 years old and a lot better built than me. The Jesus who leads us to this world is a child. He's not coming in the kind of glory that we would assign him. He's not coming with the kind of visible power that we're used to looking for. I picture him in the temple talking to the the experts in the law and asking really good questions they've never thought about before. And, And I think about Mary realizing, oh no, we've left them behind. And they go back to find him and he says, well, where else would I be? This is my father's house. And then I see him turning to us and saying, are you ready? Are you ready for the resurrection parade? Because we're getting ready to go and we're going to walk through this world and it's filled with all kinds of reasons for despair and heartbreak and heartache. And it's not going to change overnight all at once, but it's changing here and there all the time. And if we are people of hope, if we expect it, we'll experience it. And we're going to have to keep waiting. We're going to have to keep hoping because he, he hasn't come back that second time to take us all home. But it doesn't mean that he's left us alone. He's here with us And if we're looking in all the wrong places, if we're looking at all the impressive people, if we think the only only source of the kind of future we want is to line up between people who, who play on our fears and tell us, you don't have to be afraid if you'll just do what I tell you to do and if you'll, you'll expect me to be the one to save you, to rescue you. We hear those kinds of voices all over the place in our world, but there's one small voice of a child asking us one more time to believe that we haven't figured it all out yet and it isn't too good to be true, it's too good not to be true. And it's coming, brothers and sisters. It's breaking in. Waiting in hope for God to do what only God can do is one of the most important things we can do. I know there are many ways that waiting feels like doing nothing. But I actually think waiting is one of the most important things to do and it's one of the most difficult things to do because we keep looking at our world. We keep looking at our relationships that are broken that we don't know how to fix. We keep looking at a world that's running out of resources and, and all these different problems that feel like we, we don't have any clue how to fix them and it's just easier to stop watching and to stop listening and to just put our heads down and try to get what we can and take what we can and give up. Every time in those moments that you and I choose once again to believe that maybe, just maybe, it's possible. Every time we take down the armor that we've built up, every time we try to reach out to someone who there's a part of us feels like isn't isn't already exactly who we want them to be, but we reach out to them anyway because we want a relationship with them more than we want 
to demand that they do exactly what, what we'd like. We want a community where we, we fight against division more than we fight against our brothers and sisters, where we seek unity more than we seek getting our own way. Do you believe that it's possible? Man, I want to believe that it's possible. Because that's the good news this morning, brothers and sisters, is that even if we have time, even if we have these, these moments in our lives, even when, even when we, ha- we have seasons where we know we've given up and we've fallen into a cynical, jaded way of looking at and moving through our world, we can always come back to hope. Because hope is just another word for resurrection. Hope never dies. We're going to sing together in just a moment. And as we do, I I want you to know that uh, some of our shepherding couples are going to be standing near the exit doors. And they're there if you need them to, uh, to talk with them, to pray with them. Uh, if, if you have something that, that's on your heart that you just need to pray with a Christian couple uh, about it, um, if you want to learn more about what it means to be someone who commits your life to following in the hope-filled way of Jesus, I want you to know that they're there uh, to meet with you, to pray with you, to talk with you. Uh, and so approach them as we sing this next song. But in this season that can so often turn to fatigue and exhaustion. Let us be people who choose resurrection hope. Let's stand and sing together.